0: And welcome to the first ever Studio 2 to take place in the month of November. Hello. Hello. I'm Avi wolfman Arendt.
1: Who's (laughs) that? (laughs) I'm Shirley Min. And Avi, your hello is so compelling, I just say hello back. (laughs) I'm filling in for Cherry Greg today. We have a lot to get to on the show. Later in the hour, we're going to talk with a Rowan University professor who's investigating some of the biggest questions in our universe. And he's doing it with the help of... Asteroid Dirt. Asteroid Dirt. Yes, that he helped retrieve from outer space. It sounds like a movie plot, doesn't it?
0: It it sure does. I think I saw a movie about that, yeah.
1: (laughs) Questions, comments, email studio2 at WHYY.org or call 888-477-9499.
0: After that, Shirley, we have a chat with Nicole Byer. Nicole is a comedian and television host who has made a career lampooning her own dating life, one that she describes, her words, as dismal. (laughs) So what is it like dating in your 30s? We will discuss and later in this segment we'll talk about the suddenly dismal future of wind energy in New Jersey as well as some upcoming elections in the Garden State. But first, Shirley, you know what we like to do on this show, roll through a few headlines. Take us away.
1: Okay, so we're going to start with one of the biggest races this election in terms of campaign spending. Mm -hmm. And this is Pennsylvania's Supreme Court race. So spending has surpassed $17 million in TV ads and mailers in this state Supreme Court race between Dan McCaffrey, who's a Democrat, and Republican Carolyn Carluccio. Now, this is a race to fill an open state Supreme Court seat, but it's a lot of money.
0: It's a staggering sum, and we knew it was going to be a lot. Um, And sure enough, it's turned out to be a lot a lot of the spending from outside groups. There's, mm-hmm. a, a, there's a big focus on abortion in mm-hmm. this particular race, which Carluccio is saying really isn't on the ballot. Um, but nonetheless, many groups who uh, have an opinion on that topic are spending big time on this race. And many other groups as well. We expected this, but like I said, still seeing the numbers, it is mm-hmm. incredible, $17 million. And the,
1: negative, the negativity of the ads. A
0: lot of the ads are negative. You've seen them on your TV. Yeah. I don't need to explain them to you. But yeah, that's... And look... When there's an election like this where the candidates are, I guess I would say low visibility, low name recognition, Mm -hmm. even though they've both been judges, they're just compared to the average politician, you usually see a lot of spending and a lot of negative spending. And unfortunately, that's just not surprising.
1: Right. Now, the result of this election is not going to change whether Democrats outnumber Republicans, but... Should Judge Carluccio win, it will narrow that Dem majority to a one-vote margin, four to three. And then if you're playing the long game here, looking ahead to 2026, three of the four Dems will be up for reelection. election yep. So, you know, there's wheels, the wheels in motion. Wheels are in motion.
0: And I should say, one of the current Dems on the court is Kevin Doherty. His name comes up in an indictment that we're about to talk about right now because his brother— John Doherty, known uh, commonly as Johnny Dock, the mm-hmm. erstwhile head of IBEW 98, the very powerful electricians union here in Philadelphia. He is going on trial today yet again. He has already be con- been convicted in a bribery case a couple years ago, along with city council member Bobby Heenan. This is a different case. And I should point out, he's not been sentenced in the first case yet. So after this case, Depending on how it goes, there's going to be sort of like a super sentencing. Mm-hmm. Um but Doherty headed ninety eight for a long time, was very influential in city politics. This case basically accuses him of using union funds like a personal piggy bank and using it on his family, including his brother, mm-hmm. um on himself, on other family members.
1: Groceries?
0: Groceries, it lots of lo- <sighs> lots of concert tickets, oddly enough. Yeah. Um and, and and he says there are explanations for all these charges or they were mistakes that he paid back. Um, but the trial is going to begin today and it's going to be very closely watched because for a long time, Johnny Doc was a humongous power player in this city.
1: Mm-hmm. And he had support in his 2021 trial, but it from seems, the union, yeah. right from the union. But trust is broken. It seems like that trust is gone. Yeah. And, and the, that support is gone.
0: Yeah. The union leadership has really broken with him and there has been infighting. We won't get into all the details mm-hmm. of that. But, yeah, you're not going to see, I would imagine, that big sort of display of support outside the courthouse that you saw from um, his 98 brethren in the first trial. He's sort of more going it alone this time. Right. And the, the downfall has been swift. And that, Of course, he hasn't been convicted here yet, but right. the, the embezzlement charges are pretty stunning. And if you read through the details of all the stuff that was charged to these credit cards, it's not like one or two expenses. No. Uh, the, the, what the prosecution is alleging here is a... Repeated doesn't even really begin to describe <laughs> it, but a repeated use of union funds for personal expenses, which mm. is illegal.
1: Right. Well, jury selection begins today on that. We'll be watching. You might need to put that some case, drops in your yes. eyes well, to read the whole entire. But don't if because if they're brands from CVS, Rite Aid, Target, Walmart, FDA's warning, uh, FDA issued a warning to consumers to stop using some over the counter eye drops because they could contain bacteria. Lead to serious eye infections. Again, the the brands include CVS, Rite Aid, Target, Walmart, and um, this bacteria could not only cause infection but like vision loss. Yeah, it's seri- this is serious. This serious. Yeah. Um, the FDA said they found quote insanitary conditions in the manufacturing facility, which I thought it was unsanitary. Insanitary is next level. It's like
0: beyond unsanitary. I looked
1: it up. The definition is so dirty or ridden with germs. I mean... Does not sound pleasant. Yes. Yes. So there's no reports of infections yet, but um, the... the, There's uh, concern that that, that they could
0: be contaminated. Right.
1: So they're asking manufacturers to pull those products and asking consumers to throw them away. Uh, if they have them at home.
0: The upshot here, if you use eyedrops, please Google the brand, whatever Uh you have, and make sure it's not one of these. And look, we don't want to over-alarm people, right? Like you said, there haven't been any reports of any sort of bad side effects so far, but there was concern about the facility where these eye
1: drops right. were produced. Well, and this follows another eyedrop recall, which actually led to four deaths. So yeah. it's just scary. Just visit the FDA website for a list of the products before you use anything. We're going to
0: skip ahead now to talk a little bit about something far more pleasant, which is okay. cheesesteaks,
1: <laughs> surely.
0: Um, uh, Heather Big Chin, fan. who works at our partner's Billy Penn, went to South Dakota and tried a bunch of cheesesteaks and was pleasantly surprised by the quality, so much so that she wrote an article about it for com, which leads to this broader question of can you get a good cheesesteak outside of the city of Philadelphia or its surrounding environs? Do you have a, a strong opinion about that cheesesteak quality not in the region? I... <sighs> I have my doubts. You have
1: doubts. I have serious doubts. Did you look at the picture whether... of the cheesesteaks in this story? <laughs> no, and I haven't read this article <laughs> fully, so I do need to, like, do a little bit more, more research. research. Yeah, okay. But I have been in other states, tried cheesesteaks in other states, mm-hmm. not South Dakota, but they have not.
0: Cut the mustard. To have it m- measured up?
1: Well, and the other thing, too, I guess she said the small town of, she was in Custer, South Dakota, that's where they offered a decent steak, but it had onions and peppers. And it did have the hoagie roll, but I questioned the green peppers. Oh, and you're also, not a peppers person. I, I'm a hot pepper okay. onion. Person Fair enough. In, yeah. but, but the hoagie, I questioned the roll.
0: That's the biggest thing for me. And Every the green time. Peppers. I feel like usually the roll is just way, way worse. It's more like white bread in the shape of a roll. And what you get here, and I'm, I would say I'm like not a, like a big cheesesteak guy, I think it's a little overhyped, but the rolls are always really, really good. And they're like that quality, like Italian baked yeah, roll. Like
1: chewy, yes. not bready.
0: Substantial, exactly.
1: Yes. And it, that
0: and that I rarely find outside of our region. A you foil
1: know, to the steak.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um and I will just shout out Heather Chin mm-hmm. for going on vacation. Eating a bunch of cheesesteaks and finessing that into a work product. Well done. (laughs) That's something to live up to. Good job, (laughs) Heather. (laughs) Um, So let's turn now to our newsmaker interview, Shirley. Um, We're going to go to the Garden State. You might have heard this already on a local newscast. The Danish company Orsted has canceled its plans to build two large wind farms off the Jersey coast. This was a controversial project over the past couple of years. It got a lot of support from environmental groups. But also a lot of pushback from people claiming that the farms would harm aquatic life and tourism. Governor Phil Murphy invested a lot of mm-hmm. political capital in these projects, and he had pinned his clean energy goals to the completion of these wind farms.
1: So in addition to that surprising development, we heard that New Jersey's First Lady Tammy Murphy may make a US Senate run for Senator Bob Menendez's seat. And of course, there's next week's election with some hotly contested seats. So we've asked NJ Advance Media's Brent Johnson to walk us through all of this. Brent, welcome.
0: Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Let's start with the wind farms, Brent. what Orsted, Danish company that were going to build these two huge projects and then late last night they say no we're not going to do it anymore. What's their
2: explanation for the about face? This is an industry that uh while is key to what people say would be fighting climate change, there's a lot of cost issues, supply chain, COVID affected this and that. It's really really pricey industry to be in and the costs have gotten out of control in recent months and recent years and that's what they're saying this is an economical decision that the cost overruns have been too much and uh so yeah this was a big surprise and this is, you hear you hear governor murphy talk a lot about wind energy being key to his goals to fight climate change and improve the environment in new jersey and yeah that this kind of imperils it
1: well why not just postpone the project or the the, the build instead of just ditching it all together
2: I don't know if they're going to kill the project completely. They may try and seek another vendor to come in and finish it. But this company, Orsted, at least said that they are not the ones who are financially sound to do so. And how does this affect
0: Governor Phil Murphy politically and New Jersey Democrats broadly? Because they pushed through a lot of tax credits to help get this project off the ground. We saw a statement from the governor last night when this news dropped that was just bubbling with anger I mean, yeah. what did this project mean to him and, again, the party more broadly in New Jersey from a political perspective?
2: Well, for, for a few things. One, this what Murphy has a goal to, to get New Jersey 100 percent onto clean energy by 2035, and this was really the biggest tentpole of that. And that without this, or at least if, even if this is just delayed, that really hurts the idea that he might be able to have a wind turbine actually go up before he leaves uh, as governor in the beginning of 2026. This is also a big part of uh, President Biden's clean energy and climate change initiatives. So this hurts Democrats in the sense that this is a big thing they've been pushing. And now there's a serious issue with it. So and this is also going to be an issue heading into Tuesday's legislative election. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal.
1: Uh, One more question on this, though. So, you know, Orsted was given a billion dollar in tax credits. Like, like, will the taxpayers get any of this back or is this just lost money now?
2: That's an open question right now the The state leaders say that this month that Orsted will not get those tax credits in the end. That was only if the project was built There's also an escrow account where Orsted guaranteed the state a hundred million dollars if the project didn't happen. Now the thought is maybe the state gets a hundred million dollars to them so there's these are things that still have to be worked out. but mm-hmm. yeah, money is a big issue right now
1: well uh want to kind of talk about governor Murphy's wife Tammy Murphy. She might throw her hat in the ring to run for u s Senate. Like, have you heard anything about this? What's the latest and the likelihood? Yes,
2: yeah, so this has been discussed for many weeks. There have been sources uh, close to the governor who said that she's been approached by many donors and that she's been seriously considering it. And now it looks like it's going to happen or at least there's the the foundation for it to happen. She's going to launch a campaign account to begin raising money and do polling. And the expectation is that sometime this month now, sometime in the next few weeks, that she will launch a campaign. Uh,
0: What are her strengths and weaknesses as a candidate, Brent? And uh, what lane do you think she might run in? Because there's already a pretty prominent Democrat, Andy Kim, running for this seat. And by the way, Bob Menendez currently holds it and hasn't said definitively whether or not he will run for reelection. How might she distinguish herself from from those two? And and like, you know, what are her what are bona fides?
2: Her profile is very similar to her husband when he came into office. He was a Goldman Sachs executive who didn't have any elective experience, despite the fact that he was U.S. ambassador to Germany. Uh, she was a former Goldman Sachs exec. She has no elective experience, but she's been a very visible first lady. She has her own platforms focused on maternal health and women's reproductive rights. She's very. She speaks at a lot of events. She's a major uh, fundraiser. Um, so, and I guess the lane is he's a progressive, and I'm, I'm assuming she will run as a progressive, too. Um, the question is, Andy Kim is also running as a progressive, so this could be a lot of progressives going against each other. Yeah. The question is, will Andy Kim already have the momentum, and will the political establishment in New Jersey, which is very powerful, get behind Tammy?
0: And so so it's, so it's we have Kim, and we have Murphy, and do we have other names floating
2: right now, or is there? T- like— oh, Yeah, go ahead. There are two other smaller candidates who have declared Kyle, J.C., and Lawrence Hamm. They're also in the race, and there's also other congressmen who could jump in. Former congressman Tom Balanowski has been mentioned. Um, this could be a very busy and heated primary but it looks like right now andy kim and tammy murphy are the two candidates to watch if so, not if not bob menendez
1: all this is happening as people are wondering okay is the new jersey legislature going to flip from democratic control to republican control and do you think that we're at a turning point here in new jersey brent
2: i don't know yet tuesday will will say a lot of that but obviously in recent years Two years ago, Republicans flipped seven seats in the legislature. For context, the legislature has been all Democratic since 2002. So it's been 20 years of Democratic rule in the legislature, and we obviously have a Democratic governor. Um, Republicans two years ago flipped seven seats and got closer. They would still need to win every major contested election and possibly a few others that aren't contested, and it would be a surprise to do this. But at the very least, they would they could um, cut the numbers even closer heading into a gubernatorial election two, two years from now. But there does seem to be some wind
0: behind their sails, no pun intended, by the way. Uh, uh, The the GOP, like you said, is making gains, and there seems like the possibility of further gains. What seems to be propelling them uh, statewide right now, and what do you expect them to continue hitting on in the future?
2: Well, Republicans have really been on the offensive all summer, and Democrats have been on the defensive. The big thing for Republicans has been the broad term of parental rights which isn't really strongly defined, but it's they're saying that Murphy has filed lawsuits to stop districts in and um, Monmouth County from letting parents know when their children are transgender and seeking transgender accommodations. Murphy and supporters say that's to protect LGBTQ youth um, from being outed, and re- Republicans keep saying, no, this is another example of parents don't have control under Republicans and need to have more say in their children's education, which is a very broad topic but this that's the thing that's really driving a lot of these races and you hear a lot. Then offshore wind is also a, a big issue, crime and then affordability, which New Jersey has the highest property taxes in the nation. That's something re- Democrats have been focused on saying, "Hey, we've we've addressed this in recent years." And also abortion. Democrats are saying that abortion's still on the ballot even though it's settled in the state in the sense that it's legal, but they're saying Republicans could start curbing those those rights you have.
1: Are are like what's the mood like right now in the state house? You know, do you find that Democrats are worried. I mean, is it palpable?
2: Yeah, there's there's a palpable sense that this is a a key election that they're not sure what's going to happen. Republicans feel emboldened. Even two years ago, um, when Phil Murphy won re-election, it was only by three points, which was close to unexpected. And that was the beginning of them really feeling emboldened. Obviously, two years ago, the state Senate president, Democrat Steve Sweeney, was ousted by an, an unknown Republican truck driver known as Ed Durr, named Ed Durr. And that they, they saw that as momentum building. And ever since then, it's really been Republicans feel emboldened and that that they have momentum and Democrats are trying to say, hold on, we've done some good things and we should stay in office.
0: Speaking of Ed Durr, um, he, like everyone else, up for reelection. That's South Jersey's uh, third legislative district. Uh, I know a lot of folks are watching that race. He's being uh, challenged by John Kelly. Any anything else? Any other races that you really have your eyes on? You're saying, hey, here are the bellwether races coming into November.
2: Yes, those the, that is one of the <clears> that is one of the top five races to look at. They're really the most five competitive races. Durr is trying to hold on to the seat, and John Berzicelli, John Berzicelli, who is the former assemblyman in that district who lost it two years ago, is trying to come back and take back the seat. That's a close one. Uh, Ed Durr has been under fire for comments he's made about abortion. In a Facebook post before he was in office, he wrote that women should keep their legs closed. Hmm. And that's one way to prevent abortion. And Democrats have really hammered him on that. Um, he's saying that it's an old comment and that he's done a lot for the people of New Jersey, uh, for the people of his district. Um, and then next door, the 4th District is another close race for open seats in the Assembly and Senate. Uh, that's a toss up. It's It's been Democratic for 20 years, but the Republicans see that as a pickup. Then the, the other big race is in the 11th District at the Jersey Shore in Monmouth County where sitting Senator Vin Gopal is the last Democrat lawmaker along the Jersey Shore, and he's trying to hold on to his seat against Republican Steve Denistrian who's never held elected office before but has really been on the offensive in that race.
1: Do you think these races will have an impact on voter turnout?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, that's the big question. This is considered to be a low-turnout election. The, legislat- the legislature is topping the ballot. That usually doesn't draw a lot of people out without a governor or presidential race, you know, to, to inspire them. But, yeah, I mean, the turnout the last time the legislature topped the ticket was about 27 percent. So you're not going to see a big part of the electorate. So that's why you see such hot topic, hot button topics, because they're trying to motivate their base to come out.
0: That is Brent Johnson. He covers politics for NJ Advance Media and was kind enough to join us during a very busy time for him. Brent, <laughs> Thanks so much for hopping on <laughs> Studio too.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Coming up next, Shirley, how do you investigate an asteroid we're going to talk about nasa's osiris rex mission with someone who knows it very intimately we'll be right back on studio two supporting W H Y Y Pen Medicine helping to find new cures for cancer with life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques Pen Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere learn more at penmedicine.org/cancer Pen Medicine what's next
1: Fly me to the moon let me play among the stars and let Welcome back to Studio 2. I'm Shirley Vinn. They surprised us with I that did. music choice, didn't they? I wasn't I'm expecting
0: a, I'm Avi wolfman Shirley, um, I'm going to describe something to you that sounds, at least to me, almost impossible. Are you ready? Yes. There's an asteroid called Bennu floating many millions of miles from our planet. NASA sends a spacecraft up to meet it. That spacecraft extracts half a pound of dirt and debris from the asteroid and then sends the space dirt back down to Earth in a capsule where it lands in the Utah desert. Do you believe that that actually happened?
1: Yes, I do. You do. But only because of our next guest, who's sitting across from me, who helped (laughs) make this happen. Harold Connolly is a cosmochemist at Rowan University and the mission sample scientist on NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission. So thanks to him and his colleagues, that cup of asteroid dirt made its safe landing in late September, and now they're analyzing it to try and answer some pretty big questions like, why is there life on Earth?
0: That's a pretty big question, mm-hmm. Shirley. And now we, get like to ask, question. <laughs> now we get to ask him some questions. Harold Connolly, welcome to Studio 2.
3: Thank you very much for having me. I've been a lifelong enthusiast at WHYY, and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank, thank you so
0: much, Harold. We we're so happy yeah. to have you here because you're doing such interesting work. If you have questions, by the way, about like the origin of the universe or maybe something less complex, <laughs> give us a call, 888-477-9499. You can also email studio2 at org.
1: So, Harold, I have a question. Sure. How difficult is this task? Because this really was... Like threading a needle a million miles away, like how did OSIRIS-REx get that sample from Bennu?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I've been on this project, as we call it, for 15 years. So this sample coming to Earth is a culmination of a of major part of my career. And it takes a huge team of people, engineers, scientists, planners, uh Regular folks who contributed in many different ways to the concepts and also to the building of the spacecraft, to the flying of the spacecraft, to the actual collection of the sample, and to getting it home and now analyzing the sample for the next two years to bring out and tease out the clues that Bennu holds to the origins of our solar system.
1: But the spacecraft, it rendezvoused with Bennu and it pulled these samples. Like, describe the process of how that worked.
3: Yeah, great great question. So it not only rendezvoused with the asteroid, but it orbited the asteroid, Mm -hmm. right? And multiple, multiple times. So uh, you basically, we have the trajectory of the asteroid as it's moving around the sun, and we send the spacecraft off with a calculated trajectory, and it, eventually it comes closer and closer to it, and you see a little pin light source of of light. You know it's the asteroid. Eventually you're there, December of 2018. And then you go into orbit around it, and then you start looking for a place where you can collect sample because this was a sample collection me- uh, mission. It still is, right? Yeah. The sample's on Earth now. But the main goal was to find a place that met some criteria that we could collect sample, and we did in, in 2020, right? So it was really perfect. And it's
0: not, uh, we were joking, it's not like a claw in an arcade machine that, that extends or something like that. No. What is the actual mechanism to extract something this, from, from a moving target, many millions of miles away. Like, what's right. the actual mechanism? There?
3: Yeah, so the mechanism that, that we used on OSIRIS-REx, that, that NASA's spacecraft used, was actually kind of like a reverse vacuum. So once we touched the surface, it fired nitrogen gas. And ideally, the way it should, well, ideally, the way we planned it to work was that <laughs> it would touch the just the top of the asteroid surface, fire that gas, it would move all the loose rocks around, and basically bring them in to the container unit. Huh. But We actually penetrated almost an arm's length into the surface, which. Unexpectedly. Which we did not expect. Yeah. Which we really never thought would happen. (laughs) We were hoping a little bit, but it turns out the asteroid is mostly held together just by gravity. Nothing else. Very loosely held together, which
1: was amazing. It wasn't
3: as dense and solid as you
0: anticipated. Not at all. And you got what about half a pound worth of material? Is that right? Well,
3: that's the calculation correct, and we're still, we're still adding to what we're taking out of the collector head right now to see how much we have in total here. And
0: where is this stuff? So it came back down to Earth. It crashed into the desert, as we mentioned. Like last month, right? Didn't crash. Gently landed. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) gently landed.
1: Gently (laughs) gently
0: landed. I use crashes, <laughs> sort of metaphorically. Parachute yeah. came down, plop. Very nice well, it didn't thing. land on two feet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so so it came back down
3: to earth in the desert, yeah. and and where is it being held now? So uh, it flew from Utah test and training range, uh, where it where it gently landed. <laughs> On a C one, C C seventeen to Ellington Air Base outside of Johnson Space Center, and it now is in the Johnson Space Center curation facility in Building thirty one of Johnson Space Center, where the team curators, myself, many other folks, have been uh, processing the sample since it was delivered there on the 25th of September of this year. And right now, as I'm talking to you, curators are processing that sample right now in the OSIRIS-REx curation facility in the special glove box we had designed for it.
1: That's incredible. So the the OSIRIS-REx, is it being operated by somebody? Or is this just all pre-programmed, like it was going to meet the asteroid and then... Extract the sample. Oh,
3: great question. So, Just yeah, so about space that. missions, you know, uh, in, a, in a case of flying, they are programmed out by navigators, and, and of course, in today's world, computers and stuff, mm-hmm. long in advance. So that trajectory is already planned. It's maintained. It's watched. It's correction m- maneuvers are made to move a spacecraft a little bit one way, uh-huh. a little bit the other. Uh, and in our case, when we got to the asteroid, we had expected a smooth surface on the asteroid. That's all the data showed it. And it was nothing smooth about it at all. There were rocks as big as 11-story buildings. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to recalculate and redo our our, our, our measurements, which were done perfectly.
1: Well, what have you learned from these initial findings? Ooh. We We only have a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) meaning of life Harold
3: <laughs> <laughs> give us the top line uh, takeaway the greatest scientific and philosophical and <laughs> religious question <laughs> in all of humanity right uh, so we we've learned many things you heard something already about the asteroid itself we learned uh, we learned that our remote sensing uh, got it right. Remote sensing being what did our cameras take pictures of on the surface and predict that the sample would look like or our special light cameras that took the spectroscopy, the chemistry from, the, from orbit, and compare it to the sample that we actually bring back. So you hold a hand sample in your hand or in a microscope uh, or h- fancy equipment and you measure it, and it actually is correct. So we know that our prediction, uh, based on what the spacecraft collected data around, the planetary body, is so far, you know, matches, and that's an important point because many spacecrafts go to distant bodies and we don't bring sample back, so you always have that question: Did we get it right? Hmm. Is the data telling us what we think it is, or is it telling us something else? And so far, that's what we and we have found uh, clay minerals, which indicates uh, water mm-hmm. that was moving through the parent asteroid. And water would be trapped between those layers of that clay mineral. We have organics right now. We know we have organics. We're still studying all this. It's very preliminary results that were released by NASA. But it's all extremely... Promising and really exciting. What might that tell us about the origins of life on
0: Earth? The origins of the universe? I mean, because we're talking about some major stuff here. Okay. Where is that
3: potentially leading okay. us? Let's leave the universe to the side because it's a very big place. <laughs> we'll talk focus about on Earth the solar first. system. <laughs> okay. So that's 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 a beautiful question. And uh, the way I like to answer it is that everybody sort of knows what you need in order to have life exist, right? You need oxygen. You need carbon. You need an atmosphere. You need water. All those things also require one other kind of thing that we call a planet, which often gets forgotten in the equation because we're looking from how do you get to prebiotic compounds that the meteorites, and now we know Bennu, and also asteroid Ryugu from the Japanese mission that I was part of also brought back sample. We know that these little stones contain those prebiotic compounds. How do you get from that to life? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the big question. So we now know we have the process of being able to bring material from outer space to the surface of the Earth that could deliver those initial compounds needed to form life. But you still, you need a planet. And we're studying how to make planets, and that's what we do too. And you can
0: find clues to that in just this small, I mean, I don't want to trivialize it because no, it's a not. lot of material. Correct. But in sort of in the, the relative terms when you talk about a mission like this, but, but in what we might consider a sort of small amount of material, you can actually find clues to those questions? Yeah, absolutely. How? I mean, I'm, I'm, it sort of blows my mind. We analyzed them. We analyzed them. <laughs> we analyzed them.
3: <laughs> so to me, as a sample analyst, yeah. somebody who works on extraterrestrial material, a centimeter-sized particle to me is like a boulder. Huh. Right, There's so much you can do with analyzing the minerals, the constituents that are in that little rock, right? And that allows you to open up a whole world. What does it look like? How does the minerals arrange themselves? What is the chemistry? What are the isotopes or the other signatures that allow you to place into context the when did this rock form? How did it form? Why did it form? Where did it form? Geology is very simple and asks very simple questions. And by telling the story that the rock has trapped, in this case, 4.567 billion years pristine, right? It's only come to Earth that, right now in, in our sample return capsule. And rocks that come from space that land on Earth start to alter almost immediately, if not immediately. So we now have this wonderful pristine sample that we're, we're getting exciting results out. yeah.
1: <laughs> so like, something you can learn about this sample You may be able to get answers to, okay, maybe this little rock is the starting rock of how planet Earth created itself. Correct. I am speechless right now. (laughs) I am speechless.
3: And you said it's going to be a
0: couple of years of analytics. Analysis, most
3: likely? Well, it's several generations of analysis because that's what NASA is committed to, right? So m- m- 70% of the samples are archived for future generation. But the immediate OSIRIS-REx team has two years of intense analysis where we'll be working, uh- testing hypotheses that we developed, analyzing the sample, et cetera. So the first, first two years of intense analysis,
0: but that's not all of the analysis. No, it it'll, will go on into the it'll future.
3: catalog will go out to the community in less than six months. Uh, other scientists will be requesting sample or not part of the osiris team. And it will keep busy, people busy and people mm-hmm. employed for a long time.
1: Why was the asteroid <laughs> Bennu... <laughs> it's a job creator. I like that. <laughs> Why was this particular asteroid Bennu chosen?
3: Yeah, great question. Uh, Several reasons, some very practical, uh, how much fuel we going to need, how expensive would that be to design a spacecraft, the fuel to get there. Uh, Scientifically, it was a carbonaceous asteroid that was Earth crossing and potentially hazardous to the planet, Mm -hmm. meaning it might impact. So we wanted to understand uh, that kind of asteroid and because it hadn't been done before either. Well, I so Except our you, Japanese colleagues did it
0: slightly before us. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. But you did you did bring up, and I can't let this slide, the, the potential impact. So Correct. this is close. Correct. And there is a possibility right. that it could right. you know impact Earth. Yep. Uh, what do we know about the future path of this asteroid and its likelihood of causing any problems it's, for us?
3: It's very, very small, like 0.037% in 22nd century that it might impact the Earth. But the issue is with these calculations that that you hear on the news all the time about this asteroid, maybe potentially, we don't know their composition, so we have to guess in the equation to predict their movement. Now we have a second or a third data point, actually, on asteroids to be able to do that, two from Japan and one from U.S.
0: So you'll know more about its future path because correct. you know
3: what it's made of. Correct, correct. Interesting.
1: Now, you mentioned Japan successfully retrieved samples from an asteroid. Absolutely. Not the same one. No, no a different no. one.
3: Two different ones, actually, here. Yeah.
1: What What were their findings?
3: So uh, the, the Hayabusa 2 mission, which I'm a member of, which brought back a uh, sample from a carbonaceous asteroid known as Ryugu, uh, found similar kinds of things that we're finding now. Okay. It's early in our, in our analysis to compare too much, um, but uh, also clay, minerals, uh, things uh, minerals that would bring water to earth, et cetera. And I was living there in summer of 2021. Think about that. I was one of 250,000 people that got a visa to Japan that year because of the pandemic. All mm. uh, right. right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing, but at the same time, quite challenging, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, we should mention Spacecraft still out there can yeah. do is going to do more work. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about I that. Know, this but is we so are fascinating. Thank you so out much. of time. <laughs> so fun. Thank
1: uh, you. Harold
0: Connolly Jr. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all your kindness. Appreciate it. Be well. Harold Connolly is the founding chair and a professor in the Department of Geology at Rowan University and the mission sample scientist on NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission. Coming up next, we're taking it Earthbound: a conversation <laughs> with comedian <laughs> and TV personality extraordinaire Nicole Byer. Keep it here on Studio 2. Supporting WHYY, Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at penmedicineorg slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? Welcome back, Earthlings, to Studio <laughs> Two. I'm Avi Wolfman Aaron.
1: <laughs> I was going to say ni-nu, ni-nu. I'm Shirley Benyu, Benyu. <laughs> yeah. And the upcoming holidays, they can be a tough time for single folks. It can be a little awkward to be partnerless at parties or field questions about your dating life. There are a lot of apps out there, Shirley,
0: Tinder. Oh my gosh, Bumble. Um, but it's not necessarily easier to date online than it is to meet people in person. Nicole Byer, who you are a big fan of.
1: Yeah, I love her.
0: Nicole Byer is a very funny person who hosts a very successful podcast about her own quest to find love.
1: Why won't you date me?
4: of like comedians and um, actors and just people I like and I'm on a quest to figure out like why I'm still single what is love about I've done this show for five years and truly I don't know why I'm single other than I guess I'm a little too loud for men
0: (laughs) but she's not too loud for us surely she's currently on a comedy tour stopping at Parks Casino next week and Cherry and I had the pleasure of talking with her just a couple days ago
5: Nicole Byer is the host of the TV shows Wipeout and Nailed It. She is also hosting several podcasts, including what you just heard. Why Won't You Date Me? And she is currently touring with her stand-up comedy tour with a stop in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania on November 9th. And she's here with us today. Nicole, welcome to Studio 2. Hi, hi, hi. We're really happy to have you here. So I want to ask you, what does the dating scene look like? And I asked it. In this context, because it's different when you're in your 20s versus
4: 35
5: plus. What does it look like from your perspective?
4: Grim, dismal, awful, sad, a hellscape, uh, a punishment for something you did in a past life.
0: (laughs) Can you elaborate (laughs) on that a, a little bit? What is so dismal about it?
4: Just the way you have to do it on apps. You ask friends to set you up and they go, oh, all my single friends are trash. You don't want to go out with any of them. And it's like, but you're friends with them and I'm single. Do you tell people that I'm trash? It's truly just awful.
5: Yeah, it's funny. Today I posted a question on Facebook where I said, what's the hardest part about dating when you're grown, grown? And what I got back were dozens of comments that were pretty much kind of what you said. What's the hardest part, do you think? What are the most challenging things? But then also, what are some of the opportunities?
4: The most challenge. I mean, the most challenging is finding someone who's like cool, chill, likes to have fun, has like the same economic situation as you, who you have the same, you know, core values as. It's
0: hard. You have a, a book as well. called yeah. Hashtag very fat. Hashtag very brave. The fat girl's guide to being hashtag brave and not a dejected melancholy down in the dumps, weeping fat girl in a bikini. That's the title. What of the a book. title.
4: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs>
0: why the hashtags
4: um because i noticed that anytime a fat woman posted herself in like a bikini in the gym or whatever doing things that i guess the fins do people would be like oh my god you're so brave and it's like that wasn't running out of a building saving babies that's not brave (laughs) she was just living her life so i went to palm springs with my friend who's also fat I only brought a bikini Marcy I'm only going to wear a bikini and I'm going to hashtag all our pictures very fat and very brave and we laughed about it so hard and then I posted it and I put it up there was no comments being like you are fat because it's like I already told you I'm fat Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I already got there and then it's like you can't tell me I'm brave because I already said it <laughs> in a very dumb way Um, So then my friend Allison was like, why don't you do like a coffee table book with like you and your bikinis as you love them so much? I think people would like to see a body type that looks like them in a coffee table Mm. book. And I was like, "Okay." Um, it was just (laughs) yeah, it was
0: really fun. So it's a commentary on the patronizing way people treat you or have treated you in your life.
4: Yeah, I guess so. But it's also like a celebration. I mean, it really is a commentary. Like a lot of the (laughs) the captions, because there's captions under every picture and they're all very like tongue in cheek about being hungry and like eating the scenery. (laughs) It's so (laughs) dumb. It's the dumbest thing I've ever written and I laughed so hard writing it.
5: I want to talk about being fat because you've embraced it, but you've been open about, you know, sort of going through the journey of loving every bit of yourself. What has that been like? Is it been, And you actually do pole dancing uh, and are really good at <laughs> yeah. it. How do you tie that into the journey?
4: In my early 20s, I would like cover my fat arms because I was like, nobody wants to see that. But I'd be wearing like a cap sleeve. A cap sleeve is not even a full short sleeve. So I was like, what are you doing? Who? What are you hiding? What are you actually doing? It's just an arm. If someone doesn't want to see your fat arm, they don't have to look at your fat arm, but like you can show it. I actually like the way I look. I like that I'm a little rounder. I like a little bit of a curve. I like that my face is round like a cherub. I just kind of looked in the mirror one day and was like, well, what do I like? Like, you can't hate it all. Mm. I don't like exercise. Uh, I don't like running stamina based things. It's not fun to me. Um, And then I started doing pole dancing and what these girls do in the club is so impressive to me. The upper body strength, the core strength they have, the the thighs that can hold their whole bodies up upside down. It's wild. I'm not great at it, but like I have fun. It tricks you into a workout. Like you're all sweaty by the end, but you feel accomplished because you learn this like new thing. Yeah, I really like it. It brings me a lot of joy.
0: I wanted to ask you about your laugh. I feel like you use it to great comedic effect. Mm. And I've always admired comedians that have found a way to make the rhythm and sound of their laugh trigger laughter in other people. Is that something you honed or is that just, just totally natural? <laughs> it's how you laugh and and it just it comes out when it comes out.
4: It's just how I laugh and it comes out when it comes out. Because I've had people be like, you laugh at yourself a lot when you do stand up. And I'm like, yes, because I wrote that joke and I thought it was really funny when I wrote it. <laughs> And I tend to, I I don't really change my set too, too much, but if I don't find something funny anymore and it doesn't bring me joy to tell other people, I'll just take it out of my set. Yeah. I really love to giggle. (laughs) What a dumb thing to say, but I, I do. I really, I love laughing. I love having a nice time. Yeah.
5: Your laugh is like a tickle though. It's like when you laugh, it's like you tickling other people and then they laugh. It's very contagious.
4: That is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I honestly think to date. <laughs> and my laugh is like a tickle. I really love that.
5: <laughs> That's a perfect description. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions. We we put a question out about, you know, do you have questions for for Nicole? James wants to know does Nicole think the podcast, and I'll expand it to just being a known entity because you're kind of famous, right? Does Nicole think the podcast? I
4: would say mildly successful.
5: (laughs) Has helped? Has that
4: helped or hurt your dating life? I think it's a non-starter because I, for the most part, date straight men, and straight men don't really find women funny, so they're not seeking out female comedians. So they really, most of the time, don't know who I am. If they do, they probably know me from Conan. They're like, "Ah, "Yeah, that interview was like actually pretty funny." Yeah, I'll kind of tell you that you're good at what you do, um, but I don't think it's really affected it. I've had a couple dates where someone's like, please don't talk about me on the podcast, and I'm like, I will. You are happy behaved." <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, I actually was going to ask about that because when I was thinking about talking with you, I thought, well, the core of comedy and dating has some similarities in that you're trying to get people to like you on some level, mm-hmm. and you're obviously very good mm-hmm. at comedy, but you are, by your own admission, not good at dating. And do you think the difference between the two Is just rooted in those gender dynamics that you were talking about there, the fact that men don't want to date a woman funnier than them?
4: Maybe, because I read some article that was Mm. like, men say they want a funny woman, but what they want is a woman who thinks that they are funny. Mm. And when they think that uh, a woman thinks they're funny, they're like, oh, she's got a good sense of humor because we find the same things funny, but she's just laughing at him. But what they don't know is a lot of women are just like, he he ha ha, you better <laughs> you better give me that. But like, <laughs> I guess, it, I think it's Sex in the City where Carrie's is like, some people don't want to be with a the horse they have to tame. I put my best foot forward, but like I am pretty authentically me unless i'm like in a mood or i'm feeling like meh like i'm i'm a little strange (laughs) and i like to laugh and i i make jokes and i'm like a pretty boisterous person and i get along with servers and i like to smile and i like to giggle Mm. and i like to make people laugh so it's like if you don't like a person like that and you find that to be annoying you're not gonna like me right off the bat And i have weird quirks i'm late to everything um (laughs) i'm just like kind of i don't know a messy lady and if you're like a a person who's looking for like a proper lady who's like quiet or whatever or like you can mold into something like that's not me i just need somebody who is i don't know like they know who they are they know what they want and they're okay with like just a, a I don't know. A messy lady. I don't know. What was your question? Did I even answer it? You
0: did. But I actually it it triggered (laughs) another question, which is you you clearly want to have a long term relationship with Mm. someone. But you also want to be this person that you just described. Did you ever consider compromising who you Mm. are to try to make this work? Um, and I guess reveal that messy lady over time, or is that just a total <laughs> non-starter for you?
5: Let him fall in love first, Nicole.
4: <laughs> That's a serious question. Like, I'm serious. I'm... I feel like if I hide who I am and I'm slowly like I'm crazy, <laughs> then it's like I've misled this person. <laughs> am I trying to trap them?
0: Well, what, people um, pretend a lot when they date. I mean, we I, meet
4: I, the I, representative a lot of times.
0: Well, so. yeah, I think I think people not that they misrepresent who they are, but that they do temper who they are when they're trying to make that initial connection with someone, and it sounds like you you straight up don't do that as if that would be like a betrayal of yourself or something.
4: That, okay, to seem quieter than I am or not as fun as I am, <laughs> I do, I think I'm really fun, but like <laughs> I think it would be work, It would. I would have to act, but my job is acting and my job <laughs> is performing, so when I'm just me, I kinda just, I I wanna just be me and be whatever mood I'm in. Um, Sure, I think it's heightened because I'm like, oh, I'm meeting someone for the first time and I'm excited and I'm like, I hope they think I'm fun. It's the same thing with like performing. I don't wanna ever present myself as something other than me. I hope people like me, but I'm never gonna conform to an audience or like do what I think people want me to do. It's like auditioning where like you come in and you like, I used to try to do what I thought they wanted, Mm. but They're not calling me in because of what I can morph myself into. They're calling me in because I'm different than this girl that that they also called in. I'm different than everybody else that they called in. So what am I bringing that's different? With dating, I'm like, what do I bring that's different? And hopefully someone will like it. There's at least somebody, one person in the world who's going to like it. And I guess I just have to wait until I meet them. But also I have such fulfilling platonic love in my life. Anytime I do get really sad about uh, not having like romantic, steady love in my life, I just had a weekend with like five girlfriends where we just like truly laughed for like hours and had like an amazing time. My best friend Sashir is like there for me and she's really wonderful. Like some people don't have that. Some people just have a partner and that's it. I have like dozens of incredible people in my life. They love me unconditionally, just as weird as I am.
5: And Nicole, as we get ready to wrap up, just got to ask you, what gives you hope and will keep you in the game until you find that perfect someone?
4: Yeah. I've uh, dated people who are really, really incredible and really great and it just didn't work out. So it's like, if that happened once, it can happen again. And I'm a very special person. So like any old person's not going to do. So it's like as much as I want to be in a relationship, I got to wait for someone who's just as special as me. And that's hard to find.
0: I think that's a nice place to leave it.
5: I think so, too.
0: Okay, yeah, (laughs) That's Nicole Byer, TV and podcast host and a stand-up comedian. And she is going to be at the Parks Casino in Ben Salem on November 9th. Nicole, thanks for joining us on Studio 2.
4: Thank you so much for having
1: me.
0: I feel like we got a fun preview of what that show is going to be like. <laughs> yeah. She was really fun to talk to.
1: Very bubbly. I like her voice and I, I've liked her on a bunch of shows that I've watched. So
0: Yeah, she does the the baking show. She that does year. the
1: Nailed It, which is just funny.
0: It's a really good baking it show. Is it's good. on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. That's our plug. And it yeah. also wraps up our show today, Shirley. Thank you, by the way, so much for, for joining us.
1: It was so much fun. Keep inviting me back.
0: Oh, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Don't wish for that too much. (laughs) Be careful. Our producers are Debbie Builder, Paige Murray-Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Al Banks is our engineer from Studio 2 at WHYY in Philadelphia. My name is Avi Wolfman-Ari.
1: And I'm Shirley Min. I hope Avi to get to see you on You Ought to Know next time on WHYY TV. I'm
0: in, Shirley. I'm (laughs) in.